Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Joining me um, on the East Coast via Zoom are my friends Maeve and Brittany Seacrest. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're super excited to be here. They're going to share their story with Maeve coming out as transgender, a transgender woman last year, to her wife, Brittany. And they will share about their continued marriage that's been going on for 10 years, and they plan to have it continue. They have three kids. They're active in the church, and they're willing to share this story to help others that are walking a similar road or allies that want to know how best to support a couple like this. Um, By way of background, Brittany is um, a convert to the church. Maeve is a lifelong member. As I mentioned, they have three kids and live in Northern Virginia. And listeners, a lot of my guests I don't know very well, so it's not like I spent hours learning their story. I'll learn it, kind of as you're learning it, as we hear it together. And we've said a prayer that this podcast will be helpful for all of us to, to come together as the same human family. For those that are new to the transgender experience or hearing stories for the first time, I've learned I need to hear from trans people to understand gender dysphoria in someone who's trans. I can't learn that from cisgender people. And I can't learn how this type of marriage, which I consider a beautiful, authentic marriage, can continue. If that's the right word, it is continuing. Um, We may think these marriages would fall apart, but this marriage continues. And we hope that this will help people understand the beauty of this marriage and how people can continue to be happy as. The realities of their lives become more open and authentic. Is that okay for an introduction? Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. I don't know. I feel, I feel like you don't know us very well, but we know you so well. We've listened to hours and hours of this podcast <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah. So, well, wonderful. these guests that come on are my are heroes for bravely sharing their stories. So thank you for the guests that have been on and I've, we have about 20,000 listens per podcast, so that is possible because of people like Maeve and Brittany that come on. Who would like to start? Brittany, do you want to start? Maeve, do you want to start? They're looking at each other, listeners. And neither <laughs> of them want to talk over the other one. I can just tell. Yeah, I mean, I know earlier today, Brittany was like, oh, just let me do most of the talking. <laughs> so. I just think you're nervous, that's all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, great. I'll, I can start. All it's right, fine. Brittany, you've, you're yeah. first. So great introduction. You, you definitely got the, the basics down. We're, we're in Northern Virginia. We have three kids. Our kids are seven, five, and three for anyone who really wanted to know. So they're, they're quite young and, and definitely learning as we are about this experience and, and, and our family. But, um, yeah, so I, um, think we should start maybe with like when you told me. And then we can move back in time with like kind of how you discover your transgender and all that kind of stuff. So um, back in July of last year, um, Maeve and I were visiting her parents and um, for like a 4th of July cookout. And it was a Sunday morning. And like that whole weekend, we we were sitting around talking about like them possibly moving. And so we were like cleaning out the house and we came across these books that were anamorph books and don't even... Um, she's like laughing at me, um, these animorph books. And I came across them and I'm like, these, this is weird. She had like 
35 of these books that was about kids turning into like rats and hawks and dolphins and all this stuff. And I was like, these are kind of funny and strange. And like, I can't believe you had like every single book of these. And when she saw them, it was like, like you were coming home. Like it was a wonderful thing. And you were so excited. Like, oh my gosh, I love these books so much. And I could not understand why. Okay. And so that's kind of the backdrop to kind of how I found out because, um, you know, the whole family was in town. I could tell, like, usually when we visit home, like, she's kind of uncomfortable, like, because it's just kind of some old memories and stuff of, like, you know, her childhood and things, which wasn't bad. I, I shouldn't foreshadow that way. But um, that Sunday morning, it was July 4th, and she wakes me up, and she's like, hey, I have something to tell you. And immediately, my my stomach is in a pit, because it's, you know, I'm, this cannot be good. You woke me up an hour before church starts, and we have to go upstairs and get our kids ready at grandma's house so that I can hear them running around upstairs for breakfast. And I'm like, we don't have time for this. Let's tell me and let's move on. And then she just starts, hey, remember those books that I found? Like, I, they really mean something to me because I'm transgender. And I, my mouth at the floor. And I did not think that was going to come out of her mouth. I was very like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> just like completely floored. Cause I'm like, immediately I'm thinking, we don't have time for this. Church starts in an hour and I start crying. Cause I'm like, lots of things are going through my mind and I'm going to try and break them down for you. First, I feel like shock, of course, cause I didn't think she was going to say this. And then almost immediately just relief and that, might be shocking to you because I was really relieved that she told me like how wonderful that she could be her, like tell me who her true self was and to try and, and share that with me, but also just relief because like, we'll talk about this later, but Maeve had been experiencing some, you know, difficulties like mentally, like depression and anxiety and some, some really difficult um, experiences over the last couple of years that I of course had noticed. Um, and I had um, shared this with the friends, like when I've told, you know, a lot of very supportive, wonderful friends over the past couple months. And um, I had read over my telling of that story to prepare for this to her. And I had written something that like Maeve always found, finds profound. It just, it just said that like, the reason why I felt so relieved is because I'm experiencing her feeling so depressed and stuff. And I was trying to fix her. And so I told her, I was like, I've been trying to fix her and make her happy. But the only thing she really needed was love and acceptance. And at that moment that like kind of clicked for me, because like, I realized, oh my gosh, like it wasn't me this whole time. Cause my anxiety brain, I was thinking, you know, she must be unhappy because I'm not doing this, or she must be unhappy because, you know, I had made a million things in my mind. Um, and so when she told me, I was just like, this is it. This is the, this is the thing we can, we can do this. Like I, I can plan this. I can fix this, you know, like this is something I, I, now I know the problem or, or the experience you're going through. It's not really a problem. I know the experience you're going through. And so now we can, we can prepare and we can plan and we can do these things to help you. And, and I, and I was so relieved that she told me, and then a split second after that, I'm crying horribly. Cause then I know like I've been an ally for years and now this is an experience that's like very personal and in, in my home. And so immediately I realized I don't know enough about this and I know the statistics around trans people and what might happen to them in, in society. And immediately I think we're in danger. Like, and so my mind's flooded with all of these things and stories of transgender people and, and their experiences around the world of, of what society can do. And 
I was really, really scared. And so I'm crying uncontrollably. It's Sunday morning, like I remember. Um, and I'm trying to, to catch my breath so we can go upstairs and pretend like nothing is wrong. Um, and the whole family is there. Okay. So then it's fast and testimony meeting. It's the first Sunday of the month. And, um, I had packed pants to wear to church in like a really rural place because we're from a pretty small town. And I had packed white linen pants to wear for the first time ever to church. And that was a, a mistake because immediately I was like, I was a sight to see because I'm wearing pants to church and I'm a woman and it's a thing because we're in the South. And so it's just, it's a thing. And so, um, and then I'm also like trying not to cry. I literally can't look at her without crying. And I'm trying to keep my kids straight. It's Sunday, my whole family, like our whole family's there. And it was just one of the most like emotional days of my life. Um, and uh, she had swore me to secrecy, which was cruel, absolutely cruel. Swore me to secrecy that I couldn't tell anyone um, because I think in her view, like, why did you want me to not tell anyone? Honestly, at that point, I was scared of what it meant. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. This is something I had been living with for a long time, right? It took me many years to even, like, make the connection. So you kind of glossed over the whole, and I can't believe you brought up Animorphs, but (laughs) you kind of glossed over, like, the whole, uh, like, how that connects into, like, my feelings of gender dysphoria. so yeah, I guess now is a good time to like jump into that. But, yeah, go for it. Um, so if you're not familiar with the Animorphs books, it's these <laughs> like preteen teenage kids, and yeah. they're able to turn into different animals and back. Um, and like as a kid, I, you know, I had feelings of gender dysphoria, and um, so often I would like think about you know escape into these these like fiction books or or TV shows where you know, you're able to become something else or be someone else. Um, so that, that was, I don't know, one of the big signs, uh, that I first noticed, but didn't notice for a long time. Um, yeah, I I finally started making those connections, you know, several years ago and yeah, I, I, I do remember that morning telling you, Mm -hmm. I was so nervous. (laughs) I, I I don't know. I like, think you were more nervous than when you proposed to me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a thousand percent. This is something that I had never told a single soul yeah. my whole life. Yeah. And I had just, you know, pushed it away. Yeah. But afterwards, I was so relieved. Yeah. So it was kind of the opposite experience at church that morning because you were like, like falling apart. Yeah. And there I was like, oh, I feel so great. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. But I know. I know immediately you also felt like really sad for me because you knew how big of a burden it was for me to know yeah. and not be able to tell anyone or to to try and to talk yeah. to anyone about it. I'm I'm a social processor. Yeah. Like it's just part of who my nature, like it's part of my nature of who I am. And I I really enjoy talking things out with people. Um and and sharing like like this. Like I like like kind of thinking through the the, the parts of our lives like this and, and, and getting it out this way. But um, so yeah, church was difficult and um, we made the most of it. I got home and almost immediately, uh, no, 
I got home and like immediately the miracle started. Like this is like, we'll touch on this later, but like, we feel that all of these experiences were like heaven sent, like heavenly father knows us, especially in these moments and knew exactly what we were going through. Knew maybe was going to tell me, knew all the people to put in our path so that we could like make the steps necessary to, to work through this and process it and make decisions that we needed to make. So as soon as we got home, I had, um, we had already planned a friend of ours who, um, they travel like around the world for work. And so she had planned to come to like hang to stay the weekend with us and they have kids the same age. It was just her and the kids and they were coming over to stay. And, um, so she came over to stay and, um, we were like, went out for dinner and I rode with her and then out of the blue, she starts talking about a member of her family who's transgender. And I'm like, whoa, like I had no idea that you, you guys have been friends for years. Too. Yeah. Like yeah. I had no idea that like, cause she doesn't talk about it. And it just like came out, like there's nothing that prompted it. She just started talking about it. And it was just, it just felt like a miracle in that moment, because I mean, at any point she could have talked to me about this, but it was like in that moment when I realized like, I already knew I couldn't do this alone and I needed help, but I didn't know who to turn to. And she was really the person who started this catalyst for change in our lives where we were able to bring in people exactly when we needed and what we needed to hear and, and to get us through this. But she told me about her experience with this family member and what she thought about it. And it really just helped us to, to move along that process. And so after our conversation, um, I talked to Maeve and I was like, Hey, you told me not to tell anybody, but I kind of told somebody <laughs> and like, I hope you're not mad, but like, I can't, I cannot hold this in anymore. So I've had a therapist now for like years. Um, and so I immediately went to tell him. And so he's, you know, helping me process it and, uh, almost immediately decided like, this is f- like flooding my life and it's taking over a lot of my like time. And so we started meeting twice a week. So we could still have one day for me and one day for this, for our experiences, me and Maeve. And so that's been actually really helpful and something I would counsel everyone else to do if you need some processing to make sure that you're still taking care of yourself as well. But, um, so anyways, um, and then almost immediately I told Maeve, like, you need, you need a counselor too. You need a therapist. You need someone else to talk to because you can't keep this in anymore. Like, telling me was a huge catalyst for you. Cause I think you thought you would be able to tell me and just be like, okay, I can, mm-hmm. I can just push this down the road a little longer. Cause Brittany knows now, but instead I knew, and it just like lit a fire under me. Cause I was like, we're going to do this. Yeah, you know, it kind of, I think it kind of opened up the, the floodgates of emotions and all these repressed feelings uh, from over the years. I've, I definitely noticed that like I've never fit in uh, with like the typical male crowd or, you know, I have male friends, um, but like, I, I just, I never felt like I was fitting in. Right. Um, I don't think that's a, a struggle that just you would experience. Everyone sure. has issues yeah. with belonging. So, yeah. but I never knew why. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it kind of all started to, to make sense. Um, and a therapist was exactly what I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, someone to be able to, you know, talk to and talk through all these struggles and, and somebody to tell me like somebody who has experience with other people who deal with gender dysphoria, other transgender people, uh, someone who's able to say, you know, what you're feeling is normal. What you're feeling, you know, is, is completely natural. Like, mm-hmm. 
And from a spouse perspective, like this is a huge burden to bear, to, to bear alone. And like, I've already touched on that, but like having a professional that I could trust that she could go to so that I didn't have to carry it by myself. Like, yes, I could have told friends and stuff, but like Maeve is going to keep coming to me to talk about all the things that she needs to talk about and talk through, but I did not have the resources as much as I really wanted to. I, I did not have the resources to, to carry all of this and still don't. That's why we still are going to therapy so that I like that I don't have to carry all that burden on my own um, because I have I'm, I'm discovering my own self. I'm trying to work through my own identity and we still have a family and work and stuff. You know, there's a lot going on. So I, I literally I've, I've learned for myself through this experience that like I can only handle so much of my bandwidth and, and being able to almost like outsource my emotional <laughs> My emotional spouse, emotional care to, to a therapist is very helpful, but, um, back to like the next few months after that. Yeah. Because I think this was like, for our experience, I I'd want to share it, especially just because of, of, you know, how we came to terms with what we were going to do with this knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like suddenly I know you're transgender and I immediately realized like, okay, we can't do nothing. Okay. Um, because like your mental health was at risk and, um, and like, I wanted you to be happy and I wanted our family to survive and be happy. And so almost immediately we had decisions to make, which was really scary because, you know, it's like life-changing. It could be, you know, cause if we decided, okay, this is not what we want is we don't want to be married. Like that would have been really painful obviously too, but, um, never crossed my mind that I didn't want to continue to be married to her. And understanding that like, you know, relationships are dan- dynamic and people change over time. And obviously this is going to be a big change, but this is not a change that I'm scared of that I didn't want. So that was never something that crossed my mind, but um, we had to decide like, you know, well, what are we going to do or what are you going to do? I wouldn't say we, there were a lot of well-meaning people who counseled us to make this decision together. And by decision, I mean, like, are we going to move forward with Maeve transitioning socially or physically or just wait it out and do nothing. So, yeah, I mean, one important thing we learned early on was that every experience for a transgender person is different. Mm -hmm. Every transgender person goes through a different transition or no transition at all. Um, So we had to figure out together what that looked like in my case. Yeah. I like that phrase, figure that out together. Yeah. And that you're kind of walking this road together. Yeah. And I think... And Maeve, Brittany's kind of been clear that she wanted to keep the marriage together after this information came out. Did you feel the same way? Absolutely. (laughs) So I think that was part, the one part of me that was so scared to tell her because I was afraid to lose her. And I was afraid that she would she would hear this and and just can completely be like, well, you're not the person that I married. I don't want to be with you anymore. So when her reaction was not that, I think that was a huge part of me that was like, wow, she's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I've always loved her. Um, nothing has changed from my point of view. Did you know of couples, transgender couples, where there's one that's cis and one that's transgender, that if one's come out and have kept their church members, act in the church, that have kept their marriage together? Or 
did you feel you were walking completely new territory with nobody further down the road? So at that time, uh, I didn't know anyone and you didn't know anyone as well. Um, Since then, you know, we've been very fortunate to find several people and, and, you know, like I said at the beginning, like we've listened to a lot of your podcast and um, listening to couples on here, uh, like BJ and um, Kit and Bree. Kit and Bree. Yeah. And like, we really resonated with their experience. Yeah. Um, and it is very hopeful to listen to their story too, because, you know, we're, I'm 29, Maeve's 31. Like we saw many years ahead of us. And so it's, it's hope, it gives us hope that, like, you know, this, we can still be happy in 30 years, 50 years, you know? So it's wonderful to hear stories of, of, from people with these experiences from all ages, but yeah, at the beginning we were alone and that was really terrifying. But then we realized through that friend of mine that like, there's other people out there and I can find them and they're going to be in the church. We just didn't know where to find them at first. And so we did set out to find people and pretty quickly realized we're not alone. And um, so, yeah, we, we did some research and yeah, we found a Facebook group. Yeah. Um, joined. Um, yeah. I, I found another friend who actually, I don't even remember. Oh, it was, uh, it was completely random, but this, I, I found someone on Reddit <laughs> who just like, I, I saw a post that she had made and it really resonated with me. Uh, so I just was like, I don't know, let me reach out to her and, you know, share my experience. Um, and we've been talking ever since then, just yeah. kind of sharing struggles and victories. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, she is, she is a semi-active to active member of the church and still married has, uh, she has, I think five kids, forgive me if I got that wrong, if she's listening to this, <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's been an amazing resource and, and, uh, yeah. I'm grateful to have to have all of these resources of transgender members. Maeve, if someone's listening for the very first time to a transgender Latter-day Saint and and you talk about gender dysphoria sort of being the core thing that's going on here, um, just describe, t- teach us all about gender dysphoria in your words. Draw us into your experience. So... It's such a hard thing to explain to someone who, who isn't able to experience it. Um, so I, I'd like to preface it with one thing first, that it's not necessary for someone who doesn't experience gender dysphoria to completely understand that experience, to respect me for who I am, to respect transgender people for who they are. Saying that, though, it's... I lost my words. <laughs> I got you. Okay. I've had to explain this to a lot more people. <laughs> um, and well, same thing. Because the question was directed. At I me. know. I know. But it, yeah, I've been like your spokesperson for like six <laughs> months now. So it's like, You're I know how to explain it. But same thing. I'm never going to fully understand because I do not experience gender dysphoria. I've only watched Maeve go through it and heard it, her experiences and very obvious when it's happening because she's really upset about it. Um, but uh, so gender dysphoria is like, is it like waking up and they just don't feel like it's like an incongruence. Like, like I, I think someone shared this once it's like uh, you wake up and you just, 
like your spirit is woman, but your body is not. So I feel like I've, I've learned to understand a, a little bit more as I've experienced the opposite. As, as I've experienced more gender euphoria, I've been like, wow, why have I not felt this way before? Mm-hmm. And gender euphoria is? So the doing or experiencing things that have that match that like, yeah, that, that match my gender identity. Right. Uh, and I feel like my exploration and trying to discover what my gender identity is, has been kind of just searching for those things that, that make me feel like who I am. Um, how does it make you feel when your wife, Brittany, uses she, her pronouns, which she's been using the whole podcast very naturally? Yeah. Um, it makes me really happy. Um, By now, it's, it feels natural, It right? does. It does feel natural. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. It feels unnatural to use he, him now because yeah. I don't see you as male yeah. anymore because now I realize like from how I understand who you are and how you've explained your experience. Like you were always a woman. You just had like the wrong casing, you know, like you just didn't match who you really were. And so you've been a woman all this, this time and it hasn't, you coming out as transgender hasn't changed who you are, like, as in like what you like and what you don't like. And like the, the things that, that make you who you are and your other, your identity isn't just your gender. So like finding out that you're a woman just makes me realize like, you know, this is why I loved you all along. Like, this is just another facet of why I love you. Yeah. I, I'd say like in a general sense and not just when she uses she, her, but mm-hmm. um, I recently came out at, at my, my work as well. And my coworkers have been extremely um, amazing, <laughs> extremely amazing. And they've been, they've been great at using Maeve, my, my preferred name and, she, her pronouns, and it's just validating. I feel respected. I feel like like people don't need a, an explanation from me as to why I feel this way. That they're just like, yeah, this makes you feel good, and it does. I'll do this for you. And it doesn't cost them anything to just extend you that grace. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, but some people get caught up with like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're being too sensitive for um, these sorts of things, but am I? <laughs> am I being too sensitive? Like you would be pretty upset, Richard, if I was just like if I if I use she/her pronouns with you the entire podcast. Like that's not who you are. So why would I use terms that don't identify with who you are? I and I found so we we're a member we're members of lots of different organizations now that are very supportive and loving and wonderful and there's there's ones that just point out like you know quotes and things that I, I kind of snip it for later and this is one that from our local chapter of a, like an equality chapter and it, they said a friendly reminder that you don't need to fully understand the nuances of gender identity to know that each individual person knows who they are better than you ever will. So Maeve knows who she is and you don't have to understand what that means or how that came to be to know that like she's Maeve and and, like using she, her is the appropriate way to address her and um, in the respectful and loving way. Um, Even if you don't understand. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And I'm happy to like 
for those who, who have genuine questions. And, and I know that this is your position and like those who have genuine questions and really want to learn and know more, I'm definitely happy to like share my experiences and why I like things a certain way. Um, but I do expect the same level of like openness and like reaching across, uh, reaching across the aisle. I don't know if that's the right term to use in this case, but ideological aisle. Yeah. Cause I mean, people come with like preconceived expectations and notions of like what it means to be transgender. And even from my own perspective, like I did not know enough and I needed to unlearn some things. And I recognize own biases in my own experience that like, that I didn't recognize until I realized like my spouse is transgender and I need to unpack what I thought transgender means um, and what that means for my family. Um, and so um, what's that documentary that we watched that was really helpful? Disclosure. Disclosure. So dis- there's a documentary on Netflix called Disclosure and it's about trans people in media, movies, radio, television from history and modern times, like just the history of, of their experience in media. And it kind of points out biases of like, of what you've like unconsciously learned through watching trans people on TV and in the media and watching that was a huge eye-opener for both of us. And we realized we both had transphobia biases and homophobic biases that we had to unpack. Not like we're, you know, we weren't trying to be transphobic. It was just kind of stuff that was kind of baked in. And after watching that, um, it's almost like, sorry for a little left field, but like, yeah, like it's, it's like when people, there's like a, a phrase, like a, a teaching of like, if you want to teach your kids about pornography, you, you, you teach them, like, if they see it, like you say, Hey, this is, this is what it is. So you can like unpack and talk about it. So you don't make it shameful. Same thing for this. Like you, like in this sense, like as soon as we watch this and realize, Oh, oh, we have biases and we, we, we have some transphobic ideas that have been taught and that are kind of baked into our brains. Like we were watching an episode of SpongeBob with our kids that weekend after we watched it and um, Patrick Starr had come in and they were like, they had dressed up his dad, Patrick Starr's dad as a woman. And they walked in and it was like the butt of the joke. Right. And so it's, that has like a transphobic theme there. Right. And like, of course they have like the laugh track going and like my kids are watching this and I real like, and it never would have occurred to me that that's something that's transphobic in any way until I watched this podcast. And I realized like, or sorry, I watched this documentary and I realized, you know, a lot of the media has made transgender people like the joke mostly or the villain or the villain. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really unconscious. Like you don't even realize it until you, you see this film and it's, it was really helpful to unpack. And I, I encourage everyone to watch it, especially if you want to like understand some of the biases you might not even know you have. Um, That's really, I like that. Um, Yeah. I love just your helpful. honesty and your own self-reflection and talk, you know, sometimes people would want to put something back in a nice tidy box, Maeve, and sort of say, well, something's gone wrong here. If I can just connect some dots in your life, I can sort of make you cisgender again. This is a phase or this is you being deceived by Satan. And you, maybe. And so I don't want to, add to your burden by throwing some of this back at you, but some listeners may be thinking this, so it's maybe good for you just to address them like these books you saw. Maybe those books um, is an impression. Somebody's thinking, well, it's because you looked at those books about animals transforming 
as an impressionable teenager. And so you got this idea in your head that you're now transforming because of being exposed to books or this is somehow Satan confusing you. Um, and so I hope it's okay not to add to your burden by sending us some of those missiles that you've probably already received. And there's probably others you've received, but it's sort of just help, help all of us understand just the, the authentic, this is a leading question, the, the realness of your journey, the authenticness of your feelings, um, just anything you want to share. Yeah. So, I mean, everything that you just said, I've heard from at least one person, right? Everyone wants to like connect the dots, as you said, and like figure me out, like what caused this? Explain it. Um, I spent 20 plus years trying to do exactly that. Um, if it were true that it was caused by like the Animorphs books or any of the other like cartoon TV shows and movies that, uh, I enjoyed as a kid, then, I mean, you'd have to therefore think that anyone who read those would possibly have that same thing. But to be completely honest, from what I've heard of, from cisgender people who have read the Animorph books, uh, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they're not very good writing. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long journey of self-discovery, um, filled with a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-hate. Talk uh, about the self-hate, if you would, just how you felt in your darkest moments. If you're okay talking about that. I, th- I really just, I didn't want this to be my reality, right? It's not that this is something that I wanted. Um, as Brittany kind of mentioned a while ago, we've, we've had to piece apart our own internalized transphobia. And I had a lot of that. Um, for those listening who knew me in high school, I was not a nice person to be around. I, as I've gone through therapy, I've kind of realized that because of the way I treated myself, the way I viewed myself, I ended up taking that out on other people. So if you did go with me, to high school and you're listening, uh, this is my first formal apology. Uh, please reach out. I will apologize in person. Um, I didn't know who I was and I felt lost for so long. I tried a lot of different identities and hobbies to try to fill in those gaps. I, I tried honestly a little bit everything music played trumpet guitar played piano for a little bit i played bass guitar drums stuff Um, to keep you busy so you couldn't reflect on it got into woodworking running at one point i did bicycling um played soccer for a little bit uh i did marching band in high school tried to do a little bit of that in college um (laughs) yeah um you know dove into just personal hobbies to try to avoid that identity. What would you say to your younger self? I ask this question sometimes now that you're in a better spot emotionally and with your 
identity and being and understanding who you are, what would you say to your younger self on your darkest days? And this is sort of you talking to listeners need to hear what you'd say to your younger self. I think, first of all, reassurance, it does get better. I've thought a lot. Um, this is something my mom actually brought up to me uh, shortly after t- telling her, you know, if you had known when you were younger, would you have wanted to do something? About it? Would you have wanted to start a transition earlier? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, the answer to that, um, a lot of, a common question for transgender people is, um, you know, if you could have been born cisgender, uh, either in, you know, the gender you were assigned at birth or the gender that you identify as, would you want to do that? And I don't know that I found a transgender person that would actually want that because it's such a unique experience. Um, and if you were to take back all of that, would you be the same person that you are? If I had transitioned earlier in life, you know, would I have ever met Brittany? Would we have ever gotten married? Would we have children? Would they be the same children? There's so many questions to that. And then, you know, would I be the same person that I am? Would I have had the same struggles, experienced this uh, life the same way. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't know what I would say to my younger self because it, it might just be like, suck it up, <laughs> keep going. That's not a good thing I to know. say. That's like, that's not what you should say to someone who's experienced gender dysphoria. No. But <laughs> you did say it gets better, and gets your answer better. is terrific. But yeah. I think. It's because we've got to this point and like, like of love and acceptance from family and friends that you're able to look back and say, like, it gets better. We can keep, keep moving. You're going to, you're going to be happy. And I think that's like the best message that you can give to anyone who's LGBT is like, it gets better. You're, you can find happiness and like, um, you know, with my, all my research, because I have been researching to do all the best I can to be the best mom and spouse and, and, and ally, especially now that this is my, my full-time experience, like having someone, a positive role model, a positive friend, leader, anyone who is LGBT, who's successful, who's happy in your life, like, or in, 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 in like, for instance, like youth, Right. Like having someone that, that is successful in LGBT around in your life is better. Like you're better off for seeing that, especially your children, because like suicide rates are so high with LGBT youth, especially in the church. And like, I think these experiences of adults on this podcast that talk about like their happiness and their families and their successes, especially in a family, like it gives people hope. And like, that's the message that overarching for this entire hour that we have with you. Like, I want to send a message of hope more than anything, because like, it does get better. Like there are people out there who love you and will accept you and support you. And 
um, that was something in the beginning that was really hard to deal with. And, and, and cause I worried so much about not having love, not having acceptance so much so that I, I kept to myself more than I, than I needed to, um, just because I was, I was scared to, to share at first because I'm like, well, what if I lose friendships or what if my kids lose friendships because their parents are like, well, we can't play with your kids anymore. Or, you know, because maybe, you know, maybe transgender or, or stuff like that. So I was self-isolating myself for a part of our, the beginning of our journey, just because I wanted to protect her so much. I didn't want her to get hurt because this is a very vulnerable part. Like transition is a, is a huge change and there's, you know, got to keep morale high. And Um, we kind of mentioned earlier that mm -hmm. was, we had a big decision to make. Yeah. Um, And that was, that was kind of, I think, at least in my view, like the toughest few months of, of our marriage. Yeah. Um, not because we were fighting, but we were, as they say, wrestling with the Lord in prayer. And we prayed and prayed. We talked things over, searched for answers in the scriptures. Thank you. Search for answers in church handbooks, on church websites. Went to the temple. Podcasts. Yes, yeah. we, went, we went to the temple. And the questions, like, we should roll back. You were trying to decide whether or not to transition and what to do about that, like mm-hmm. what that meant for you, what you wanted to do. But for me, like everyone was wanting me to like, okay, this you're in a marriage, you need to decide this together. But I was so afraid of like making this decision for her or putting too much of my input in so that she made the wrong, like so that she would make the wrong decision. I wouldn't know what decision, what the right or wrong decision was going to be. I knew, I only knew that like this had to be her decision because this is her life and her body. <laughs> and I was long for the ride. And so it, quickly on, I decided I'm in this no matter the decision. And um, everyone wanted me to, to help her make the decision, but this was her body and her life. And I didn't want her to get 10 years down the road or 20 years or 40 years and be like, man, this is really not what I wanted. And I, you know, like, I didn't want her to resent me or anything. Like, I really wanted you to make this decision on your own. And I wanted you to know, like, full stop, like, I was here to support you no matter what you decided. And I know that was a point of, like, contention for you because you wanted me to, to help. You wanted my help. And you wanted me yeah. to, to put my input in because it was really scary for you to decide on your own. I think, honestly, I just wanted you to make the decision for me. Yeah. So I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't going to let her do that because I, I told her from the get-go, like, I'm here no matter what you decide. and. And ultimately, um, we went with the principle of like, you, you tell them about your experience of how you decided this was going to be your life yeah. and, and what you were going to do. So I had been praying, um, like Brittany mentioned, sorry, my throat's getting a little tired. Um, I had been praying about what to do and, and I had all kinds of questions. And one night I was specifically praying, who am I? Like, Forget what I'm going to do or what I should do with the rest of my life. I want to know who I am. And from the Lord. Well, yes, I, I was. I know. Was Frank. Putting that point in there. Um, and I had uh, a similar experience and response that I've had two other times in my life. <laughs> Uh, 
once when I prayed about the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Uh, I was much younger and, and just felt an overwhelming love and peace uh, when I prayed about that. The second one was actually uh, when I prayed and asked whether Brittany was the right person that I should marry. Um, and I felt that overwhelming warmth and peace again. Uh, this, this last time last year, when I, when I prayed and was asking, and this wasn't the first time I had asked this, but it was the first time I received an answer. I felt like that thought came to my mind, and I believe it was from the Holy Ghost, that I am the daughter of God. And then I felt an overwhelming sense of peace and joy and happiness. And it was that, that moment that I knew none of the, none of the rest mattered. Like, I knew that God loved me. I knew that he knew who I was. And now I knew who I was, who I am. So that was a huge moment for me last year. And, and I slept through the whole thing. Yes, you were asleep. <laughs> I was asleep. And um, <laughs> I really just wanted to wake you up and just like share in that moment. But yeah. um, I ended up sharing that later. Yeah. So like the next morning you told me, and then um, that's when we were like, okay, you're a daughter of God, like you're a woman. So, so what does this mean? Like, what does this mean church wise? What does this mean marriage wise? What does this mean? Like, and I told her from the get go, I'm like, I'm here for this. Let's go. Right. But that still didn't mean that like everything was just going to fall into place and be easy. Right. Cause we still had to get through like, you know, well, if you're a woman, like, or like, what does transition look like for you? Right. Cause that's a different experience for every transgender person. So I'm like, well, what, what steps should we take? Or do you feel like we should take? And we kind of went through all of that. And it was a very scary point for me as a spouse, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of changes happening. Um, at the time, like, like you had a beard, so shave the beard off. That yes. was like, <laughs> I and I hadn't seen her without a beard in like more than three, four years our youngest kid had never seen her without a beard. So like, I was really kind of like, that was the first step of like, okay, there's no going back. Right. Yeah. I've, I've realized that shaving for me was a, a big point of dysphoria. Yeah. I hated shaving. Um, so I just never did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you decided, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to start moving through forward with transition. Yeah. And so um, that's when we were like, once, once you had decided that's what you want to do, you're going to start doing some like, hormone therapy and like changing your appearance Mm -hmm. and socially transitioning in the future. That's when we decided, okay, some family needs to know. So like we'd reach out and told your parents and then they'd counseled, you know, maybe let's bring the Bishop in to let them know too. And so we started kind of down that path of like, okay, you know, bringing some more people into our lives, like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking. And we had already made the decision before we ever brought them in. And so that was scary for them. Um, But like, it's been a process of like, people finding out in the different, you know, yeah. and we've got some, they get. some, some good advice mm-hmm. uh, from them as well. And um, like, they're like, okay, well maybe go to the temple, yeah. you know, go to the temple, um, take some time, you know, ponder on it some more. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did end up doing that as well last year. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in November, early November, September. Yeah. September. Yeah. So we went in September and uh, it was a really raw day because like, <laughs> that's the best word I can give you. Cause it was just, all the emotions are flooding. All the ones I talked about at the beginning, like all the fear, the worry, the happiness, relief. Well, and... even like set up to that. Yeah. At my work, we have like an on-call rotation. 
uh, and I happened to be on call that weekend. Yeah. And uh, I got paged at like two or three in the morning and yeah. was up for several hours. So. And we had to leave at like 6 a.m. to get to the temple. And it was like a 12-hour venture because D.C. temple's closed right now. So we had to drive to Philadelphia. Yeah. Our sweet bishop and his wife watched our kids the whole time so we could go. And it was just like, it was truly a feat to get there. And so I- A lot was, of obstacles. Yeah, a lot of obstacles. And so once we got there, I was already just like exhausted. And then going through all these emotions of like, this could be the last time we go through the temple together. Um and some of you might be listening and being like, oh, why is that? Like, and this kind of, we can start touching on the church policy right now um, that's been changing over the years. But like right now, you know this better than I do. Yeah. So share? The, the current policy is uh, for members who transition socially or, or medically in any way uh, that there's some of their um, the membership church. are restricted. Yeah. So temple recommend priesthood, uh, certain callings. Right. Uh, those are restricted. So, yeah. And so, um, you know, we were counseled to go to the temple and just kind of pray on the same matters, um, similar matters of like, you know, is this the right thing? Is this the path that we're supposed to go on? Cause we had kind of went with this whole, like, okay, we feel like this is the right decision. We feel good about it. So we're going to make steps to that, you know, working towards transition. And then, you know, heavenly father, let us know if we've gone too far, right. Like he'll stop this. He'll make like, we'll have like the right promptings to know what we're supposed to do and not do. Right. So we went to the temple and very affirmed what we were doing, like exactly what we're supposed to do. And, and, and I went there with all of my burdens as well. Like, you know, this is the last time we might be in the temple together. And that's really, really raw. And just was heartbreaking for me because like, I feel really sad about that. Like, you know, we were married in the temple. We're sealed. We have a lovely family. Like we haven't sinned. We haven't transgressed. Like it's all like, it's all policy and not doctrine that we're dealing with. And so I feel like, you know, we're still an eternal family and I want, I want to have all of the, the fruits of the gospel. And I want to be able to go to the temple because I love the temple and I want to be there with her. And I don't want to go by myself. And it's really like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> like going to the temple that last time together, like heard because I just, you know, so I went to the Lord was, t- I was praying about that. <laughs> I was being selfish that weekend because I knew she was going to take care of her, her into the deal of trying to figure out, okay, is this the right thing for our family? And, but I went there for, for me and our, my family and, and worrying about and, and kind of giving my burdens to the Lord in the temple. Just like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to find strength and fortitude to keep our family together? Cause this is what I want, but I don't know how to do that. And like, how am I going to deal with this with our children and our family and the church? And like, are we going to have support in the church? And I just had this overwhelming feeling that like, you're so worried about going to the temple by yourself, but like, as soon as you ask somebody to go with you, like your burden's going to be lightened because you're going to have friends that are going to reach out to you that are going to be like, yes, I'll go with you. And like, I just had this feeling like that I immediately needed to share with as many people, as many friends at church as I possibly could. And then I set out to do that. Like within a week, I already had, like, I go on walking dates with friends. <laughs> so we were walking the neighborhood and I'm telling him my story and, and our story. And like within the week, I'd already told like five or six people. And it was just immediately an answered prayer. Cause I was so worried about like what people might think and say and losing friendships. And as soon as I shared, like heavenly father told me like, no, like I've sent people here for you and they're going to be in your path and they're going to support you both and your children. And it was just 
wonderful because they've been so supportive. Like, like I, all the women that I've reached out to in, in our ward have been so wonderful and just, they're going to sit in Relief Society with you and, and watch over my children and make sure that there's inclusive language with our family so that no one feels like my kids never feel like, you know, they don't have an eternal family. Like I don't, I'm, and of course, I'm going to worry that, you know, I go to church and I send them off to primary and someone teaches them, hey, you don't have a dad. It's not going to work out. Like, it's it's a scary thought for me. And so the temple was a wonderful place to have that revelation that, like, I'm going to be taken care of. And there's going to be people at church who are going to help my family through this. And Heavenly Father sent them for us. So it was wonderful. Um, so we got our answers. <laughs> and immediately you started on hormone therapy. Um, so. Do you want to share anything about that? I mean, uh, to jump back to the temple, oh, too, okay. like uh, my experience in the temple was a little bit different. I mean, oh, okay. uh, so going through, it just felt like a, a normal temple experience. Like when you go, um, which is good, like positive experience. Um, I had, I had a really good time, felt the spirit. Uh, I, and I was in the celestial room at the end. It was like, so like, what's my answer? And have you ever had the answer to your prayer? You might've experienced this before where it just feels like God's just saying, you already have your answer. Like, why are you coming back to me at task again? Um, I've already answered your prayer. Answer hasn't changed. Um, so that was really nice and like super affirming uh, to receive that answer in the temple. And yeah, it like, like Brittany said, after, shortly after that, um, we started taking small steps, hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. um, we listened to conference, listened to conference, and you know, still, you know, Heavenly Father let us know if we need to make any changes in the decisions we've made, and we still just felt like the affirming, keep going, you're doing the right thing, mm -hmm. and so we keep doing, keep going, doing the right thing. And I know, um, so there's a transgender, LGBT, like a. I think it's specifically transgender group on Facebook of, of members. And um, sometimes like, you know, general conference can be, you know, a challenge depending on the talks and things. And, and sometimes it's just like listening through them through the lens of just like uh, members who think like LGBT people, LGBT people in the church are just like, uh, bringing us farther away from the family, like the, the nuclear family and like the family proclamation, all that kind of stuff. So there's some like sentiments there of like, you know, Oh, I hope they don't, you know, there's no attacks from this. Right. Well, anyways, you know, so when we sat down to conference, this is our first conference with this experience and um, knowing and, and experiencing it together. And almost immediately, like we're sitting down, we're like, Oh, you know, kind of thinking like, you know, like have like walls up on pins thinking, and needles. Right? Yeah. Like, thinking like, like, Oh no, they're going to say something like what if, what if the policy changes again? And like, it just, it tends us into more turmoil. I'm trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. And, you know, and then I, I don't know, to some point during the, the talks, I, I really like, I kind of had this feeling like, cause we were, we were listening in separate rooms with three kids. So like <laughs> I'm listening in like ear pods and she's downstairs in the basement with kids playing. And like, so I, I go downstairs and I realize I like, I know that she's, she's listening and, and it might be thinking like, Oh, they're out to get me. I was. And so sure. I come downstairs and I'm like, this talk is for us too. And I'm telling her, I'm like, these are for us too. And they're not talking like we're outside of the church looking in like, like these talks are for us with our own experience and with our unique lens. Like we're still members of this church, even if we don't 
like look and sound like other members of the church. Like we, we are still here and this message is still for us. So like we need to put our walls down and just listen and apply it to our lives, how we experience them and we'll be okay. And that just like turned it around like immediately. And it was a wonderful, positive experience. And we got a lot of really wonderful things to like add to our family and our practice and, and our devotion. And it was great. But um, from then on, like, I think it was pretty smooth sailing. Like once we made the decision or once you made the decision and we were all on board and started making like steps towards that, like it was really smooth. Um, I noticed a huge difference in like my happiness level as well. And that was obvious to other family members. I had family members who did not know, like I had not come out to that would tell me or tell someone else in my family, man, she seems so much happier now. Like she's what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This is, um, I'm going to jump in and share some thoughts and then turn it back to you for some more thoughts. But, um, uh, there's some things that really struck to me One, you talked about Maeve, about the euphoria you felt when you're, when you sort of lined up. Um, and then, so maybe, one way to describe dysphoria is the the when you felt the euphoria or the alignment and how good that felt to you. And I thought that was a really wonderful way. I also, no one's ever talked like you have about sort of, I would never go back. I would never be cis. Not that you ever were. Um, this is who I am and this is what makes me who I am. And And this experience is good for me. It's good for our family. It's good for our church, you didn't quite say that, but I think it is. Um, it's good for all of us. And I thought your approach to how you feel was so positive um, and so helpful. I love both of you talking about the importance of personal revelation and how I've learned to honor everybody's personal revelation. You've been incredibly prayerful and thoughtful about this. And even though Somebody on the outside might think that you got the wrong personal revelation. We need to honor everybody's personal revelation. That's sort of a pillar of our faith is asking questions and getting personal revelation. And often that comes best when you've done the things that you've done, been prayerful, have been thoughtful, going to the temple. Um, I'm seeing you on my screen. I wish my listeners could see on your screen because the dynamics between you the hand-holding, the cuddling, the, the looking at each other in the eye with silly, giggly, sort of falling, continue-to-be-in-love eyes. This is a beautiful marriage. And I hope our listeners can feel that through the audio and through the words you say, but I can see it visually. And I think this is one of your finest marriage moments. Um, and you're both nodding your heads. I think maybe the finest moments in our lives are the most difficult where we have to really decide, you know, learn how to communicate, go to therapists, get personal revelation, be vulnerable, be honest, decide what we want. And I think this is your finest marriage moment to date. And I look at this as an incredible success story. And the fact that you've talked through this, neither of you rushed to conclusions, neither of you gave each other ultimatums. You were very, very thoughtful and went slow and said, you know, let's and just recognize the foundation of your marriage and the reasons you fell in love in the first place are still there. Um, and you still, and 
that leads to the next thing I wrote down is, in our church, we want strong families. And this is a strong family. There are two wonderful parents that are deeply committed to each other and deeply committed to these three kids. And to me, that's what our church and society, you know, it really helps strengthen our society to have strong families. And I have to thank the things that you've learned in your own marriage and the principles and the communication are already paying dividends, but will continue to pay dividends as you raise your kids um, with just a wonderful couple of parents. I love that you've been able to navigate your journey in the church and and recognize your love for the church, your testimony of the church, but the church doesn't quite know exactly how it works. And you've butted up against that and you've been mindful of that and has sort of taken that slow and there's probably pain there. You've, and I think it's okay. You could probably do another podcast just on some of the difficult experiences you've felt. And, and Maeve isn't going to the temple because you've socially transitioned. Um, you're full, still a member of the church and going to church. And it's just, you know, will our policies can be a, continue to be updated to match the reality of your experience? You know, I don't know. I'm not a leader of the church, and I don't know God's will. But I just recognize in this space in particular, we're in early chapters of understanding how to fully meet the needs of transgender Latter-day Saints and the grace you're extending back to the church, your desire to stay, and um, and the people around you that are walking with you. So there's just some wonderful principles of that are you're sharing. Um, I invite all our listeners when they hear a story like this is don't necessarily make this story your story. But the principles that Brittany and Maeve are sharing are, are scalable to your story and help you as you're making your story. If you're an ally and wanting to do the best, um, I wanted to read one thing that's in my book. I sometimes read this. It's the mother of a transgender child. And she writes, I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them. He tells them that God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding, not because this group has deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he's keeping us from coming to love, coming together as the body of Christ with pure Christ-like love. We could do better to help heal these members who are hurting and feel they have no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to our fullest potential. The answer to overcoming straight Satan, strengthening families, and bringing people to Christ is love. And so I've loved that. It's helped me um, as I've. Satan's real and um, has an agenda, but I don't think you being trans is because of Satan confused you. And I think your answer that I've been feeling this way for 20 years is the best, you know, sort of this, is, this isn't just a new thing that came on on the morning of July 4th and I came out to my wife. This is 20 years of trying to understand what was going on here and then having the courage to come out to Brittany. So... Those are some of my thoughts, and we're kind of at the hour mark, but I want to kind of send it back to you. One of the questions I'd love you to address, and well, a couple questions, and I think you've done a pretty good job, but I think some people will take comments and sort of say, 
like, what does your future look like? Or no, the, I'm sorry, this question, are you sure you're happy? Um, which to me is almost a statement like you're really not happy. When will you just realize you're not happy? Um, um, because you're kind of like not. And so sometimes people will ask a question like, are you sure you're happy? So I'd love you to address that. I think you've done a good job of already addressing that. You could yeah. also address what you'd, a second question is what allies can do to help. And, and also maybe the third question, if you remember the order here is what does your future look like? For you two, and you've kind of talked about that already. So those are three questions for you. And anything yeah. else you want to say? Yeah, yeah. So I, I do feel like a lot of times these questions come from a sincere viewpoint, but might be projecting a little bit. And what I mean by that is when people hear, "Oh, you know, my spouse came out as trans," they think what would I do in that situation? What would I do if, if my spouse came out as trans? Would I, would I be happy? Would I stay with them? Um, so it's hard for them to really, truly believe that. Uh, now we've, we've been married coming up on 10 years. Mm-hmm. This, this year will be 10 years for us. And I don't know. I've, I've always felt like I've had to hide a part of myself emotionally, uh, a part of my life and a part of my experiences. Um, and that's not fun. That does not make me happy. And I was not happy. I mean, I had my moments. I, mm-hmm. I, I've enjoyed the, those nine years, but this has brought, uh, our relationship to another level. Yeah. Cause it's just, just like, um, it's full honesty. Yeah. Like you can't have a real relationship without full honesty. And there was a part of yourself like through fear that like I wouldn't accept you and I mean I don't think there's any fault in that it's your experience and I think you know you had to be ready to share and I had to be ready to accept Mm -hmm. but also to that same note like it it took me some of those nine years to even find my own identity like I was still (laughs) trying to make sense of everything Mm -hmm. so I mean, sometimes I I guess I forget that too of like, you know, I've had, I'll I'll be 32 this year. I've had a majority of my life to discover myself. And that's been an internal struggle, an internal battle that no one else has shared in. And so sometimes I forget that it may seem sudden to, to people that, you know, all of a sudden this seems to be coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, she didn't have any signs of this growing up. I almost see it like we're not coming out. It's almost like we're inviting you into our lives. Love that. It's like you're you're coming to see our experience. It's not like we're oh, look at us, we're different. You know, it's like no, we're we're inviting you in to share this life with us, yeah. and we can revoke that. <laughs> yeah. And as far as like our expectations, when we when we um, invite someone in, and we expect them to be an ally. Uh, uh, I'm usually the person they go to because (laughs) you're at home working all the time and I'm very much an introverted person. Yeah. I don't know if that comes across well in this podcast, (laughs) but But I'm the extrovert and I'm a party girl. So I'm, I'm going to talk to everyone. I'm going to be friends with anyone. And it's like, I feel like it's one of my gifts. I can talk to anyone about anything. And so a lot of times I'm, I'm the approachable one and people come to me. And so when I 
Um, I, I've just told three new people today. So not just in this podcast, but in, uh, today, um, at church. And, um, so when people come to me, most of the time, often their questions are, you know, just like this, how can I be a better ally? And of course they immediately have questions of like, what does this even mean? Like to be transgender. Right. And almost immediately, it's always like, well, I'm too afraid to ask questions because I might mess up and I might say something offensive and I don't want to hurt you. And I like, you know, immediately start, they start with a, a sense of like friendship and, um, I don't know, just like they, they really want to understand our experience better. And I really appreciate that. And I, and I feel like if you really want to be an ally, the best thing you can do is what this podcast is all about. Like the best way to be like our savior and to love people who are LGBT is to listen and learn about their experience so that you can learn how to love them. Like we can't just say, Oh, I love LGBT people. Like, no, if you don't understand and know their experience and you don't know how to love them mm-hmm. because you don't know what they're going through. And I think that's why, that's how the savior loves us. He doesn't just love us because we're his children. Like he loves us or, you know, heavenly father, like he's like Christ loves us too, because he knows our experiences and he, he can sucker us because he knows who we are and what we've gone through. And that's how he loves us. So if you want to be like a savior, you need to learn and, and listen. So you know exactly what we're going through. So you can love us through our experience. So I think that's something that's profound that's come to me through this podcast and through, through sharing with others. And so when we come and say, Hey, this is what we're going through. This is, this is who we are. And the people are scared to ask questions. It's kind of sends us, us a message of like, Oh, well, I'm too afraid to talk to you about it. Or, you know, I, you know, it just doesn't send like a good message of like acceptance and love. And so when you come to me with questions, even if they're like, I don't know, ill-formed or, or, you know, like, um, unresearched, like I'm fine with it. Like, I'm not expecting you to come to me and understand and know everything. Cause I didn't, and yeah. I'm a spouse. I think I would, I would qualify that too. Of like, you're coming to generally like genuinely yeah. understand and love yeah. and not coming to try to like fix or diagnose the problem or explain how it happened. Like, yeah, yeah. that happens sometimes too. Yeah. It's like, so like, I don't need to explain how this happened. I really, if you're coming to me to ask and, and understand more of our experience, I know from the get-go, you love us. And so that's what I hope that some allies here can understand and know. Like the more you ask questions and stuff, like that's not a bad thing if you don't understand what their experience is. The fact that you're asking and you're genuinely curious and wanting to know what they're going through so that you can help their lives be better, like that's you showing them love right there. And so that's something that I would pass on for everyone that wants to be a better ally. Like ask questions, get to know them, understand their experience, and then and then if, love them. If this is someone that you've known for a period of time and you, you know them by a certain name already. Mm-hmm. I think a wonderful first thing to do is ask, do you have a preferred name and or pronouns? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I've had, I've had friends when I came out to them that they, that was the first thing they asked. And I was like, yes, I do. And uh, thank you so much for asking. It just, yeah. it, it makes me feel so much more welcome and loved. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for allyship. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like what we expect of our future, I think for me, and like I mentioned, I'm an introverted person, so it really scares me a lot. But I I just would love to make other LGBT people feel comfortable in coming to church. I want to show other people who may be in the closet or maybe aren't even members that it can be a safe place and that 
there are allies in the church and that you can feel comfortable coming on Sunday, taking the sacrament, uh, taking your kids to primary, serving a calling, serving a calling, uh, you know, youth classes or Sunday school Mm -hmm. and that you will have support. And from the outside looking in, like how I felt when going to the temple and worrying these same things, like, are we going to be accepted? Like Heavenly Father came through true and soundly that, that I was going to be just fine. There were going to be people who are going to sit on those pews with us, who are going to affirm and love our family and, and, and learn about our experience so they could love us. And I, I, I deeply felt that. And so once I started to practice what Heavenly Father told me to do, I still saw that for myself. And so I agree. Like. I want, I want to, obviously our family is a safe haven for those people out there who, who need more support and, um, and hopefully we can help through our experience. So other people, allies, LGBT people can feel safe and comfortable at church because that's what we hope for in the future. And, um, and, and just, just know that when someone comes to you and invites you in, they're telling you something very personal about their life. They're doing that because they're looking for your love and acceptance. Um, there's really no other reason that someone would come to you with, with this information. Uh, so just know that that person loves you and they, they really want love back in return. Yeah, is this, I'm going to share some more thoughts because I wrote down some more things and I'm going to send it back to you. Sometimes these podcast listeners, we don't end at a certain point. And um, one of the things I think you're teaching us is line upon line revelation. And a lot of people don't know exactly what the next five years or 10 years or 20 years. And sometimes you're surrounded by people that a few people just kind of know their life plan and it they've got it all mapped out and it all works out. So you sometimes think, what's wrong with me? I can only see the next year, the next six months, or the next three months. And I think a lot of us are in, I'm 60 now, so I probably don't fit in that. I can kind of see maybe what all our kids have left home. They're not going to come home. You know, I'm at this point, my life's maybe a little more programmed out, but I think you've taught us line upon line of revelation. And at the moment you needed more revelation, you got it. And I think that's a really important principle you're teaching us. And even though you may not know exactly how it's going to work out with church restrictions and temple attendance and the future in the church, you seem to have faith that at the right time, we will continue to receive the light and knowledge that we need to receive to continue to move forward. And there's a great deal of faith in that, but it's also living with kind of ambiguity. But I think you've recognized your story to this point has been and you talk about the temple and you talk about friends and family and the people and your work experience, you've talked about some things. So I think that's really hopeful principle you're sharing with LGBTQ or really any listeners that are wondering about their future. And I think as you step in that fog, Elder Bednar's talk about fog, as you step in, you usually can see the next two or three steps you need to take. And that's what you're teaching us. Um, I love, I think you said, um, a couple sisters sit with you in Release Society, Maeve. Is that right? They've promised to. Yeah, they promised so, to. Yeah. I have not gone to church yet, socially transitioned. All right. Yes. Well, and yeah. you, you may decide what you want to do with this segment of the podcast, but if you do end up going to Release Society and those sisters sit with you, 
Um, to me, that comes back to what we can do to maintain a strong family. And so that support that you would get, if indeed that happens to me as your faith community award saying, we want to do what we can do to keep this family together and to create a safe place at church and to make this work for both of you. Um, listeners, the thing, we haven't talked about this, but the best definition I've ever heard of somebody to help me understand what Maeve is feeling is car sickness, because I can relate to being car sick. It's this terrible mismatch between the inside of a car and the experience and the outside. And all I want to do when I'm car sick is to get out of the car. And somebody taught somebody, and I don't know if you like this idea, Maeve, but that's what helped me understand how you feel. Not to compare it to car sick, but I just know when I'm car sick, I want to end that experience and I'm going to do everything I can. And to me, that's gender dysphoria, helping me as cis guy. And imagine trying to explain car sickness to someone in the 17th century before cars were even. That's what we're, you're trying to do. Um, and that to me helped, that analogy helped me. So you can chime in on that. And um, oh, yeah, I think that, I think that totally makes sense. And I've, I've heard you use that analogy before, actually. Um, and you reminded me of it. Um, so it's almost like, feeling that car sickness, but you've never experienced it before and you have no idea what's causing it. And you've never unfelt it. Yeah. But it's not really like a sickness that I feel, I guess it's more, it's more related to probably like depression and just like, like dread or. (laughs) And so then the euphoria you talk about is having that, that sort of that dissidence or that dysphoria leave. For the first time in your life. And for me, it's like for the first not realizing I'm have car sickness for 20 years. I don't I don't want to compare gender dysphoria to a sickness because that's different. Um, this is not a physical or a mental illness. This is different. So I don't want to compare it too much there. But for me, it's sort of like the euphoria I would feel as I'm leaving the car for the first time and feeling like what I should feel. The fresh air that hits you. Um, I, I think also a good, another good example of like gender euphoria, if, if anybody out there has ever experienced when they go shopping for clothes, you try on something that's really flattering and you, you're like, wow, I look really good in this. That's, that's what, it, uh, uh closest I felt. Yeah. If I could explain that, cause I mean, I get this question, like what is gender dysphoria and like, what is euphoria? Most people haven't even heard of the, the term gender euphoria because a lot of people experience it without even knowing that they do. Like what I've heard it explained is just like, and how I explain it to others is like, you know, cisgender people are never going to understand dysphoria. Like they're not going to ever feel it. They're not going to really understand it. But like, we're all experiencing gender euphoria and we don't know it because we are in the bodies that are gender matches. Like, and so we wake up every day and we experience euphoria, but we don't even know it. And it's like that principle of the gospel. Like, you're not going to know the good without the evil. You're not going to know the pleasure without the pain. Like, it's just like that Adam and Eve thing. Like, you just, you're not going to know euphoria without dysphoria. And so we don't ever understand that these, these, these different terms and, and how it actually feels because we have never felt the opposite. And so I'm never going to wake up at one day and then just suddenly understand, because I think in the beginning you tried to explain it to me and you're like, are, are you sure you've never felt this way? And I'm like, no, I have no idea how, how to relate to you with this, but I, I want to, and I want to understand, but I'm not going to, cause I wake up every day and, the, and I feel like I'm in the right body and I match and everything is fine. And, 
I've never not experienced that. So I'm not going to understand the joy and the pain of what this feels like, which she can, but I can see, and I can relate to her having pain and her having joy. And I know what those feel like. And so when she's in pain, like, I'm not going to tell her, you know, Hey, like, you know, this is silly or you shouldn't feel that way or whatever. Like, I'm going to say like, Hey, I recognize what you're going through. Like, I don't understand it completely, but I recognize it. And I want to help you feel better. How can I help? Um, and, and that's all I can do as a spouse. Um, and I try my best to understand, but there's just no way because that's not my experience, but I do understand your emotions and I do my best to, to fill in, to figure out those out and, and work through those with you. But I do my best. So that's something I think maybe listeners can help with the cisgender people. Like you're just not going to ever understand allies and I'm sorry, but, but we can understand pain and enjoy and, and we can help. Yeah, I think the analogies do help. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's such a form. Yeah. I thought of, um, I don't know listeners if I'm carrying on too much, so you may turn me off, but, um, I thought of Apollo 13 movie as you were talking and as our listeners know, that's um, a movie about an Apollo flight that started off really good and then went really bad. And there's a line from that movie that I just love. And I'll read it for you listeners. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And indeed it became NASA's finest hour. And their finest hour was their most difficult hour. And I look at your marriage the same way. This is your finest hour. And in some ways, from the outside, it looks like the most difficult. And maybe from the inside, it's look like the most difficult. But I think it's your finest hour. And I think the rest of your, I don't want to get too prescriptive here or sort of chart out your future, but I think. You know, look back at this period of time as one of your finest hours that laid the foundation for the future of your marriage and the future of your family and this beautiful, strong, wonderful family. And I think though your kids and your future grandkids will this experience that you're going through will be part of your family experience, obviously. And and you may wonder how that's gonna work out with kids, but it's back to line upon line. I think you'll know. And you may have talked to some of your kids about this already. We probably don't have time to get in that. But I think you'll, line upon line, you'll know the right time to talk to your kids about this, just like you have with your bishop and your parents and other people. Um, Listeners, sometimes to be an ally, uh, this wasn't my idea, but a missionary, um, this was his idea. He put his pronouns in his Facebook profile, he, him. Um, He's cisgender, but he just wanted to signal potential investigators that he was a safe person. And I would think most LGBTQ people, if they saw pronouns in a pro- social media profile, maybe both of you are nodding your head, but that's a sort of a subtle signal that that's a safe person. And Jesus was the master at that. So I think if I, you know, you can decide allies the best way to signal you're a safe person, but that's one of the, if you're a social media person, have a presence, I put LGBTQ ally in my Facebook profile the last year of being a YSA bishop and and it's still there. That was that's five or six years ago now. But everybody needs to figure out the best way to be an ally. And for some, um, signaling on social media with pronouns is one way to do it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it to both of you for final comments. Yeah, 
if you have any. Would you, and I'd love you both to spell your names. I think we, just so we know the spelling of both your first names and how to spell your last name. Yeah. Uh, so Maeve is spelled M-A-E-V-E. Um, and I'm Brittany, T-T-A-N-Y. Our last name is Christ, S-E, Christ, like Jesus. Love that. It's, yeah. So that's how we say it. And uh, it's kind of a wonderful reminder every time we spell our name. Um do you have any final words? Thank you so much for having us on. It's yeah. been awesome. I think Brittany has. <laughs> um, with all of my wonderful friends out there, which I know who are going to listen to this later, they, some of them know about it. Some have been really wonderful in helping me jot down my thoughts. And it's been, um, you know, quite a journey for both of us with all the twists and turns and the line upon line revelation that we received. It's kind of hard to like look back and remember all the, the different turns that it took so that we could get to this point. And, um, but I had written down like some of my thoughts to a friend who's all the way in Australia and she's a wonderful writer and, and reader. And I, I sent her a lot of my thoughts and, and feelings about like kind of what I'm going through and some of the, the revelation that I've received about like, you know, church and how do we, how do we go and how do we belong and all this stuff. And, um, and it was, I don't know if this is actually going to be helpful. I just feel like earlier, I just felt like I should share an excerpt of something that I had written to her. And the backdrop to this is like, I had, it had been, um, I'd felt this, um, I'd, I'd had an issue with thinking about like, okay, how do I go to church? How do I belong amongst people who are so different and have different views and who could see us as a threat or something bad or wrong? Or, and like, how do I, how do I come to terms with that? And I'm sure other LGBT people are thinking the same thing about how do you belong in the church when, when there's people there who could hurt you or speak ill of you. And, um, I, it was like the week of my baptism anniversary. I'd been baptized 12 years. And, um, I think I just, I sit and I think back on during those weekends of like all the people in our lives, especially mine who had brought me to this point, like how I became a member of church and all these people that have brought, you know, so anyways, I shared this. So last week, when I wrote this to her last week's best, best and testimony meeting, I shared about my journey in the gospel. November 1st marks my baptism anniversary of 12 years, and I had reflected on the people that have shared this journey with me in that time and how small and simple service, lessons, playdates, and perspectives has widened and reshaped my worldview. The gospel is true. If people are diverse and flawed and wonderful, all quietly experiencing their own life-altering challenges, we need each other to be more like our Savior. We're not just put in families to become like him. We're put in wars with people that challenge our peace and worldview and testimonies and more so we can practice one of the hardest virtues, charity. So right now I give myself grace at church to cling on to hope that I can see these people as Christ does and continue to give them the time they need to listen and to learn and to love us just as he loves us. And those are my final words. <laughs> I wish and hope that all the people who are listening, especially the ones in our ward who are just finding out how this is going for us, that they listen and learn and learn to love us just as the Savior has. And that we can be a safe place for people in our ward, in our community, in the world. And 
maybe we'll come on again and talk about our, our experiences with our children and telling them and how we navigate that because that can be a whole podcast in and of itself because I'm sure there's other people. I know that there's other people out there who are LGBT, LGBT who want children, who want to be in church and have children, already have children and are going through the same experiences that we're going through. Um, and so I think there's a lovely conversation there that I, I love to hear and to share about too. So there's hope. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope in being LGBT. There's hope and those things can exist together. <laughs> it's all hopeful. So, and wonderful. And I love you. <laughs> well, listeners, this is just kind of a beautiful love story that um, Maeve and Brittany have been willing to share with us. And so the, I'll sign off. This is Richard also your host. Grateful to have Maeve and Brittany see Christ on the podcast. And we'll sign off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>